This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A touch more. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. The Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. For the Celtics, goes around the world. Oh, the circus came into Boston. Walker for Gray. Kemba Walker from downtown. Tatum drives down and throws it down. Wow. Rebound. Gordon Hayward for two. Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No block out. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name's Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for MassLive.com. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe and our good homie, Jared Weiss of The Athletic. Jared, what's going on, man? I've always wanted to be a good homie. Well, you know, we've got some bad homies, but you're one of the good ones, I think. I try. I try. <laughs> Jared, what have you been doing to keep busy during the pandemic? Uh, what, what have you been up to? It's funny, I've actually been on bed rest for the past few days because I started suffering back spasms like a young Steve Nash. So I've been on muscle relaxers, which basically puts you to sleep all day long. So I've been laying in bed on my iPad trying to do some writing, trying to keep up with what's going on in the Twitter sphere because it's crazy how there was like no NBA news for a while and then like suddenly just getting hit by these like tidal waves of NBA updates. I feel like I don't even know what the status of the league is at this point. Well, it's funny, right, because it's like those updates are like kind of news, but also kind of not news. So I almost wonder if like has our bar just lowered that much that we're like, oh, hey, the Miami Heat opened their practice facility. We're just like, oh, my goodness, the Miami Heat opened their practice facility. Like there's a little bit of our bar going down in terms of some of this news, although some of it is obviously very impactful. I mean, for the past month and a half, news has been that news will happen eventually. So I think we're at least we're moving on to something actually tangibly actionable at this point. So Before we get into too much Celtics talk here, Jared, you, uh, I'm not sure how much people know sort of your backstory. Can you just take us through a little bit? Obviously, you had a, a full-time job that was not NBA writing, and you were also a full-time NBA writer as well. So can you just kind of take us through a little bit, you know, how you got to where you are at The Athletic? So I I, did, I just tell people I worked in the government to let their imagination run with that. But what I really did was, uh, while I was in college, I worked at the State House in Massachusetts doing financial education policy. And then after I graduated, ended up becoming a bank regulator. So I was a bank examiner. I would go into banks. We would do a review of their documents, interview their senior executives, and 
do an overall assessment of how much they protect consumers from fraud, from their own mistakes, and from everything under the umbrella of consumer protection. So if people know Elizabeth Warren, basically what she was doing, I was basically doing that at the lowest level imaginable. So I did that for seven or eight years, I think, until The Athletic maybe full-time before this season. I think I remember you telling me that you would write stories in the bathroom, go on like <laughs> random 30-minute meetings and just disappear for a period of time to just be able to write your MBA stories. What was that balance like? For, Nicole, as far as the players there, are concerned, it was not nearly, <laughs> it was not nearly that uh, inappropriate. It, was, it would be like whenever I would go on a break or if I had to go to the bathroom during work <laughs> or if I was on lunch break, I would literally just take my phone and try to squeeze in whatever work I possibly could. Or if during free agency or trade deadline or whatever, I'd be, my phone would be ringing and I'd have to sneak off into the hallway or sneak out to the stairwell to take a call. So there was a lot of that. I, I always got my work done at the time. Yeah, hopefully you know, your former were... employer does not listen to Gino time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, the work got done for sure. But most weeks I would end up having one night in the office where I'd stay till like 9 p.m. just to catch up on stuff that I was behind on. I mean, I was working definitely at least 100 hours a week for a few years there, and that was that was pretty rough. I like to imagine that you, like, get a phone call about a Celtics thing while you're at work and your boss sees you and you're just like, ah, it's a, it's a bank. It needs to be regulated. I'll be, I'll be right. I just got to take this call. Right? <laughs> <laughs> be, that may or may not have happened a few times. <laughs> How did the process go of, of being at The Athletic, uh, uh, of getting to that point? Because obviously you worked at other places too. I mean, kind of how did you get in with them? Going to The Athletic was amazing for me because – before that, I was at USA Today, and I spent a season where I had to run an entire blog by myself. Eventually, I got to hire another writer named Greg Gasoli, who did a great job. But that was like a lot like what Tom does, where you're doing high-frequency aggregating. You're trying to do some – I mean, Tom did a lot – there's a lot more original reporting than I was doing while, while I was at USA Today running Celtics Wire. But it was like we had to get, on average, six stories a day up. So trying to do that while working a full-time job where most of the time my commute was like an hour each way, at least on average. And so and you can only do so much uh, work on with Siri while you're driving your car, <laughs> sitting in traffic at Boston. So in reality, I had very few hours to basically, like I would have to map out like how many hours am I going to sleep tonight versus how many hours am I going to work tonight. And that was, that was pretty brutal. But so when I got to go to the athletic, they were like, we just want you to be a features writer, so just write once every couple weeks, basically. So switch to that role was like a dream come true. Doing that, it was like such a huge break. And then when they eventually made me full-time in October 2019, and it was like, you're going to write four to five stories a week. That was easy for me because before I was writing that much a day, at least. So uh, it's funny, you know, people hate having to aggregate, but it's the thing that you have to kind of, you have to do at some point to break through in the journalism industry. And once you do, it makes everything after that feel like it's a walk in the park. So uh, for any young journalist listening, just remember that if you want to become a professional beat writer, you might have to work 100 hours a week with a, an hour commute each way. So uh, don't let that discourage you, but there's that. You guys want to talk some Celtics? This is still right into Jason Tatum saying that Deuce would be like 10 years old if he had gone to public school instead of private school. Well, I was going to say we should talk about Tatum, but that was, I mean, that was the funniest part of that podcast. Uh, if anybody missed it, uh, Jason Tatum went on the All the Smoke podcast with Matt Barnes, 
and Steven Jackson, and it was it was very funny. I mean, we got to we got to see sort of a side of Tatum that people don't always get to see. Like, what what stood out to you guys about the Jason Tatum all the smoke experience? I mean, the fact that he didn't want to go to the Celtics. That was a big one. Sometimes on these podcasts, they sort of rehash stuff that we've already heard, and maybe a few new details come out. But like that whole thing, I feel like was new. For those that didn't listen. Basically, Tatum said that he didn't want to go to Boston because he wasn't sure about how often he would be getting the ball, and so he wanted, he wanted to go. To get he wanted to go to Phoenix and play with Devin Booker, and he really enjoyed his trip to Phoenix. So he was gung ho on Phoenix, which also of all places, like for him to be like pumped about Phoenix, I felt was just kind of random too. I'm, I'm with him on Phoenix. The weather is amazing. Like everything he said, I was like, yeah. For sure. Like, if you're a young millionaire and you can, like, afford a Phoenix house and you can be in, like, that weather year-round, I mean, I I like Massachusetts, but, like... No, you don't. No, I actually do. I I do like Massachusetts. I have a nice house now. I like this state now. But, like, I kind of get it. Like, Phoenix is a nice spot. And, and, you know, the, the Devin Booker thing makes sense, too. It was really illuminating in that we always hear about how players and free agency prefer to go to warmer climates. And to hear that he was willing to get drafted to a franchise that has been an utter disaster with its management for so long, just because he wanted to play with one good young player, but just it was clearly really that he wanted the Phoenix lifestyle, which Phoenix is amazing to live in if you have got money, because you basically just live in a country club the entire time. It's pretty great. (laughs) So it was just really interesting that he would feel that way and that the pitch that his agent was making to him was that the Celtics have a great history. Because we always talk about the Celtics lore and all that kind of stuff. But, like, in reality, how much do players really care about that? Especially, how much does a rookie care about that who's not from Boston? And the fact that that was actually one of the pitches and it ended up working out, I highly doubt Tatum would have been too upset if Phoenix ended up drafting him. You know, it seems like that's what he would have wanted anyway. I'm sure he wasn't like, oh, my God, I get to live in cold-ass Boston uh, when he got drafted. But the fact that that was part of the pitch I thought was really interesting. Well, I think that the combination of Tatum and Booker would have been, like, I, I kind of see the vision. I, you know, I mean, obviously, when the draft happened, I don't think we knew that Tatum was going to be as good defensively as he has been. Uh, you know, I don't think he necessarily had a chance to show that at the collegiate level. But, I mean, just having that kind of a of a long, versatile defender who can get buckets in a bunch of different ways. And I thought that... Uh, you know, Jay had that story where he talked to Earl Watson, and Earl Watson kind of talked about how there are players who have a counter to a counter to a counter, and that's what Booker has, and that's also what Tatum has. And I thought that that was a really interesting way of looking at it. Is like, yes, there's guys who can do a bunch of different things, but there's also guys who can sort of process the game really quickly, and that's what both Tatum and Booker can do. And I thought that was that was an interesting insight too into how they could have worked together offensively. Is like they both read the game at a really high level, especially on the offensive end, and I think that would have played out pretty nicely, too. Yeah, it's funny, because counter-the-counter is like a phrase that gets used a lot by skill trainers and players yeah, and stuff yeah. like that, but the fact that Watson added another counter on top of that, it's like it's kind of making the point that like those guys, what makes them so great is they go beyond the normal ability to react to how your defender reacts to your best move, that they can just keep going and going and going until they create an opening, and that's, I mean, that's what we saw at Tatum this year, where he would do you know, crossover to through the leg to step back, and it would just kind of be like, it's like doing combo moves with somebody in Street Fighter. That's why <laughs> that's why I've long st- said that Jason Tatum is basically the Dalsim of the NBA. He's got those super stretchy arms that go out 20 feet. 
Um, I wonder what it would have been like if the Sixers drafted him. I assume his legs would have fallen apart within the first three months, and then they would have <laughs> traded him to Orlando. I mean, he was exactly what they needed, though. Man, like if they had a, you know, even like a, like a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown or whatever it might be, like they would just be in a in a completely different situation. You know, just having that wing who can shoot, and it would almost like free Simmons up to be more of just like a pure point guard. I feel like. I remember I was talking to um, Tatum's dad once at one of the games, and he was saying, making that exact point. He was like, yeah, Ben could play the point. Like, it'd be great. Like, Jason would get buckets, which is one of his main concerns. And <laughs> I would be fascinated to see how that panned out, which just, I think it goes to show just, like, how shrewd of a move it was by Danny. Like, nobody, I think, really saw that coming at that point in time. For sure. I, it's funny because the spin that's come out of Philadelphia since is that, and it probably is true, is that, after they made the trade, there were some concerns about Markel Fultz, and there were some dissident voices within the front office being like, maybe we should reevaluate this and look at some of the other guys and not be married to this. And the uh, the, the head leadership of the front office shot that down pretty quickly. And could you imagine if the Sixers got their hands on Markel, realized that it would have been a mistake to draft him, ended up drafting Tatum, and then Danny still ends up with Markel Fultz you know, I wonder if that trade would have been looked at as a good trade, considering that they still squeeze an extra pick out of it. But it definitely would have changed the course of Celtics history dramatically. It definitely would have. I mean, I don't think that it was necessarily uh, – revisionist history says that, you know, Tatum would have gone up in that range. But, I mean, Tatum was pretty much universally mocked around, like, seven or eight, I feel like, in that draft. Like, I don't think there were a lot of people – who had him in that top three. I know, you know, like Kevin O'Connor did, like, you know, a couple other people did too. But, like, for the most part, most mock drafts had Tatum, like, after Josh Jackson. I mean, if I recall, a lot of them had him after, like, Jonathan Isaac and after De'Aaron Fox too. So I don't think it's any – I don't think it would have been any guarantee that if the Sixers had had issues or if they had seen issues with faults that they would have ended up taking Tatum. But, you know, I could be wrong about that. I remember hearing right before the draft, I was someone that told me, it was like an, it was another team's executive that told me that if they keep the pick, then they're using it to take Tatum. If they're trading the pick, it's because somebody wants Josh Jackson. Yeah, and that apparently turned out to be true. For sure. I am curious. What do you guys think about? So the, obviously, the Celtics have nothing to worry about about him wanting to uh, go to Phoenix initially. But I am curious what you guys think. So if Jason Tatum is the centerpiece of what the Celtics are going to be building sort of for the foreseeable future here, and obviously the last uh, couple of months of the season make it look like that he could be, do you guys think that it would be wise to start doing some things to cater to him? And I'm not necessarily talking about like offering every asset, you know, every player on the roster for Bradley Beal or something like that. But, okay, so you know that he likes Earl Watson. You have 100,000 assistant coaches anyway. I mean, like, would it be smart to, like, start making moves like that that, like, sort of keep the guy that is sort of your franchise now happy, especially knowing that Boston wasn't necessarily his first choice when he was drafted? Totally. I think ultimately, before we get into those details, I think winning makes everyone happy. So if the team is good, I think that sort of dampens the need to do that. But ultimately, if they want Tatum to stay long term, I definitely think that that's a good idea. And what I'm realizing now is that we never really have heard about like what Tatum wants. Like, He's perfectly friendly and fine to us, and we've all written stories about him, but that was, I feel like, the first time that we really got a glimpse into sort of, like, what he values. Obviously, we know he loves Deuce and his mom, but in terms of, like, priority with, like, destinations, obviously he's never been a free agent yet. He's so early in his career, so 
We've never really gotten a look into sort of what he deems important. And I'm sure what he thinks is important when he's 24 will be different than when he was only 19 and stuff like that. But I think that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if, I mean, Bradley Beal's probably on like the, like on the farther end of the spectrum in terms of things they could do to please Tatum. It definitely wouldn't be uh, the worst thing in the world, in the world to do a few moves to sort of please him. We could definitely have a three-hour-long debate about whether you would want to trade Jalen Brown for Bradley Beal. Like, it seems on the surface it would be Bradley Beal, 30-point score, that there's no question about it, but maybe Jalen Brown is a better – I guess maybe that's – I was going to say maybe Jalen Brown's a better fit next to Tatum, but I'd assume Bradley Beal would work out perfectly next to Tatum since they're basically brothers, so that probably wouldn't be an issue. So who knows? But, like – as far as hiring a coach just to placate to Tatum, I think this is one of those organizations that they want to try to avoid doing that as much as possible. You know, like it's not like they didn't bring in Phil Handy for Kyrie Irving. You know, like they, yeah, they haven't. That's true. Well, they, who they knows what would have happened if they did though? <laughs> maybe that was a mistake, and maybe <laughs> yeah. they should have. Um, but it's it, it, you know, Brad Stevens is not a super authoritative coach. We you know we know that, even though obviously he's a lot tougher on the guys behind closed doors than he is in front you know in front of the microphone. But he's not a super authoritative coach. And bringing in those kind of coaches that have prior player relationships that can that can kind of chip away at his sovereignty. And so I think it's generally ideal not to be doing that. Like you were saying about how they have so many assistant coaches. Now they have like too many assistant coaches where they can't even fit everybody on the front of the bench. So I feel like adding so I mean, I don't know what Earl Watts is doing right now. I'm sure he would be a great hire as an associate head coach. But also Jay Laranega has clearly earned that. And Jamie Young for has sure, also been with sure. this team for like twenty years now. And so, you know, it's a little tricky when you do that. But it's funny because the associate head coach role is one of those roles that has kind of high turnover because a lot of the time teams will bring in like kind of, you know, like really valuable coaches like Mike Longabardi was brought into that role. Like Tom Thibodeau was brought into that role right. from Doc Rivers a while ago. They did that with Ron Adams when Brad Stevens was, was first hired. Um, and so that's like kind of a tricky balance, but it's often a kind of a political hire. But it's like what, whatever the, the situation is with Stevens, I, I mean, with Tatum, I think Stevens's coaching process has worked out really well so far, except for last year, obviously. And messing with that is probably the the one area you wouldn't want to tinker with. Yeah, I, I, Watson was more of just kind of an example of what I was trying to say about, you know, sort of placating him. Because the other thing about bringing in a different associate head coach is that Laranega is also the coach who works with Tatum. And they've got yeah. a super productive relationship. I, I think that Laranega has obviously done really, really good job with Tatum. And, and uh, that might not be something the Celtics, like you said, uh, to your point, might not want to mess with at this point. Guys. Looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. BlueChew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. So in other player appearances this week, Jalen Brown was on CNN 
and sort of discuss the possibility of the NBA season returning. What did you guys take away from his little segment? Jalen, you know, Jalen was one of those first uh, players that I've seen that was using social media to basically call out their home state for being a little bit reckless. I think it was Georgia was about to reopen, and Jalen like put a screenshot of like a shot of CNN and saying like don't. Like, don't listen to, to the politicians or something like that. Very classic Berkeley uh, rhetoric right there from Jalen. But uh, I, I wonder if Jalen's going to be one of the people that is not going to be ready to go back to practice when it happens. Because we're, we're going to see in the next, uh, I guess by Monday, um, next week we're going to see pretty much everybody back, or every facility reopening at that point. And I think the Celtics will be a little bit behind that. But there's going to be, at some point, a lot of stories of players not feeling comfortable coming back uh, to work out or, you know, whatever situation. They're not they're not ready for, like, whatever the standard process is. And I think Jalen's going to be one of those guys that's going to be vocal on that matter. So I'm really interested to see what he says. Uh, so one thing that I found really interesting was that he mentioned on CNN, so Jalen was on that call with all the superstars like Giannis, Steph, Kawhi, Jalen did make a note, like, but we also have to see what all the other players think. And so obviously all those superstars, the consensus was, yeah, we want to play. I think it was important that Jalen noted, like, you also have to ask everybody else sort of lower down the roster how they feel about returning because it's true that some of them might not feel comfortable, and I would be curious to see how they go about approaching that and whether anybody actually will voice their opinion there. From a basketball perspective, sure, LeBron has, you know, more at stake to finish the season. But, like, these guys also have – a lot of the guys down the roster have stuff at stake just because, like, they don't make as much money as LeBron James. And, like, coming back, like, that that really matters. Like, they, they need this – I mean, I think that they would like to, uh, you know, give the NBA as, as few options as possible in terms of, uh, you know, not doling out paychecks at, at, the, at the top amount that they could possibly earn. So – there's going to be a lot, to Jared's point, I think there's going to be people who are concerned about coming back and who are, you know, a little bit nervous about it. But I also think that there's going to be a lot of people who are motivated not only from the basketball side, but also just like from a financial perspective of just trying to make as, you know, as much money as they can out of this. I mean, Javante Green is the most at stake. That's exactly. He needs, yeah. he needs that playoff run to advertise himself to the league to prove that he's worth keeping on the roster next year. He's the one. It's His career is on the line more than the, the rest of these guys. So I think this is going to affect those people. And then also someone like Vincent Poirier or Gordon Hayward, who has a pregnant spouse. You know, I think those are probably the two types of players that are most impacted by this. Yeah, I I wonder what, what they're going to think of this because the other thing too is if the NBA does come back, they've made it pretty clear like, you know, we don't want to separate these players from their families. We want to make sure that everybody can can see the people who are really important to them and we're not just like locking them away for, you know, however long, like a month or two months. But I also kind of wonder like for somebody like Hayward, if he's if he's going to be in this situation, you know, he might not want Robin traveling and the girls traveling. Like, he might not want to do, you know, all of that. He might want them to, to, to stay home and, and try to be safe there. So, I, you know, I do kind of wonder, you know, how he's feeling, how guys who, who have, you know, babies on the way or, they ha- you know, they have children, if, if they want them out and about right now. Gordon's probably ready, though. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> it depends I mean, what the internet bandwidth is at the hotel inside the bubble, really. <laughs> that, that really is what it comes down to. Um how much do you think that momentum will be affected 
by this? Like, do you think that if they are able to kind of get this going again and that if the playoffs start, like, do you think the Bucks are going to be able to pick right up where they left off? Or do you think that it's going to, that there might be the potential for some weirdness uh, in, in terms of some of these really good teams who were rolling who had to take, like, two months off? There's probably like, going to be some mediocre team that, like, gets a huge boost from this and then some hot team that falls off. Milwaukee, this is great because wasn't Giannis dealing with some injuries before the shutdown? So you have Giannis completely rehabbed and ready to roll, so that's that's huge for them. I mean, the Celtics are screwed because Jason Tatum hasn't touched a basketball in, like, 400 <laughs> years. So I wonder if they can remember. It's going to be a Wilson ball by the time he even gets back there anyway, <laughs> if, you, if anyone's heard the news today. So I, I wonder if maybe Boston is going to be the team that's hurt by it. I mean, they, they were in the middle of a free fall from their great streak that they were on. So I think having a shutdown probably saved send the tide on that one. But I wonder well, if, it, like, Orlando or Brooklyn is going to come out on fire out of the situation. Well, and it also, but this did give uh, Kemba a chance to get healthy. Like that, that guy yeah, was pretty right. clearly banged up. I'd, I'd be curious to see how that works out as well. I feel like the two things here are one injuries and just general health, and then conditioning. So, do we think any players just sort of like let themselves go, relatively speaking? Well, Ennis Cantor, uh, talking to Jared and the Athletic Boys, Shams uh, said that he gained seven pounds. So. That's uh, pretty devastating for the Celtics' hopes. I wouldn't worry about Edis. He's so ridiculous. I mean, the fact that he noted that he gained seven pounds, I think, tells you how seriously he takes that. <laughs> right, for sure. No, I mean, it, it, it will be – that will be the really interesting thing. And, like, will we be able to visibly see that, like, somebody got out of shape? You know what I mean? Like, what if somebody comes back and you're just like, dude, you don't even have muscle definition anymore. Like, what happens? Like, I, I'll be kind of curious to see if anybody got just, like, notably uh, – no, if, if it went notably poorly for somebody. Like, Shemmy O'Jalele comes back, he looks like Jason Tatum rookie year. Shemmy got fat because he couldn't find any weights heavy <laughs> enough for him to lift, so he had to... Yeah. He kept so, tacking on mass, so he couldn't shut up. I tweeted, Ennis said that they do Zoom virtual Zoom workouts like three days a week, and that one of his teammates filled a suitcase with clothes and was using them to do bicep curls, and he didn't name the teammate, but then literally everyone was like, this was Shemmy. Yeah. <laughs> But I think Joel Embiid, for example, has a reputation for maybe not being the best eater in terms of watching his intake and things like that. So I would be curious to see how that went. And I feel like he'll have a lot of eyes on him. Well, and, and Embiid is such a – like conditioning is so important for his game too because like I mean he like you said, he kind of has – like sometimes when he gets tired, he goes like three-point line to three-point line as opposed to, you know – getting in and defending the rim and then, you know, rolling to the basket or whatever. Like, sometimes he prefers to camp out at the three-point line, and that's how the Sixers get sunk when they get sunk. So, I mean, so, yeah. I think that the uh, the, the tentacles of this are, are really going to reach out in, in a lot of really intriguing ways, uh, just, in, just in terms of, like, I don't know that I would necessarily put an asterisk next to whoever wins this season, but I think that it could be somebody weird. And I guess what something else, important to note from Jalen's appearance is that he says that it's sort of understood that they're just going to dive right into the playoffs and that they're not going to do any sort of regular season. So under those circumstances, the Celtics would be matched up against the Sixers right off the bat. Yeah. But that that seems like it's the only thing that makes sense, right? It it makes no sense to have a regular season at this point. Well, also just in terms of a health and testing standpoint, if you have the means to cut the number of teams involved from 32 to 16, that seems like a no-brainer. Like, why would you mobilize the Golden State Warriors and all of their staff and personnel for them to play, like, two pointless games? 
and For then sure. have them go home. For sure. At least Steph would be back. So people keep using the Warriors because they're the last. But how about, like, the Hornets? Like, <laughs> who, who wants to go see Terry Rozier go is 7 for 21 right now? <laughs> there are some brutal teams in there that would just be like, yeah, God, i got to get off the couch. This sucks. By the way, uh, tentacles, great word choice. And going back to players on the Celtics that would benefit from this, Gordon Hayward is, I think, a huge one because we know that he gets uh, he gets ankle soreness that builds up over yeah. time. So the fact that he gets to have this huge, uh, this huge like you know, layoff period for him to get fully stabilized and then go right to the playoffs, he was probably going to be hurting going into the playoffs and playing through soreness. So that I think that's going to impact him more than most other players in the league, for sure. All right, well, we will wrap this up here shortly. Jared, before you go, um, let's, uh, l- let's nerd out real quick. Uh, give me your favorite draft prospect, and then also give me uh, your favorite guy for the Celtics. Oh, interesting. Probably if I'm sticking with prospects that are, I guess, within reach of the Celtics, but uh, Kyra Lewis mm-hmm. is the one that really excites me from a value standpoint just because his ability as a potential pick-and-roll scorer uh, and deep three-point shooter is going to be such a better fit for the NBA than it is for college. And those kind of players are kind of like the necessary players that every single team needs. And the Celtics definitely could use that guy coming off of the bench. They don't have anybody outside of, like, their core four players or, I guess, five players that can actually, like, really be a threat coming over a screen to shoot. So I guess he'd be the answer for both of those. And then uh, – I've been a huge Onyeko Okongwu fan for a long time. But you and I were sitting next to each other when we saw him go, like, blow for blow with Zion Williamson a couple years ago at Hoop Hall. And he was was incredible. Like, that was Zion playing at his absolute best, and Okongwu was absolutely playing him even. He was incredible. So I love his game. I really like Denny Avija. I think that or Avija, he's been he's been getting kind of underrated as a lot of other guys have passed him in the mock drafts, but I think his game is really perfect for the way the game is played right now. For sure. So we will leave it there. Big thanks again to Jared Weiss of the Athletic. Jared, uh, what do you anything you want to plug? Anything that you're working on that you uh, that you want people to know about here? Uh, I just want to plug uh, Nicole Yang's work at the Boston Globe. Not <laughs> much, not much uh, for myself. Uh, oh no, you use your just, plug. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Don't read any of my content. <laughs> All right, yeah. Well, don't, don't, uh, definitely don't follow Jared Weiss at, at Jared Weiss NBA on Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, read his work at the Athletic. Jared, thanks again, man, for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Let's do it again next week. Absolutely. Also, sorry to jump in, but if you guys made it this far into the podcast, please rate our podcast and write a nice review. It's very much appreciated. Do we have a preferred uh, number of stars you want of this? Like, is four stars fine? Three stars okay? Okay, sorry. We should specify that please rate the podcast five stars. Oh, well, that completely changes what I got out of that. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk to you uh, next week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.